The following podcast is a member of the Pokecasters Network. Pokecasters Network, supporting Pokemon content creators, their shows, and the community of Pokemon fans. To find out more, check out pokecastersnetwork.com or find us on Twitter and Facebook. Welcome to the Pokepress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. First, there's an interview with Paul Umba, co-producer of Aaron Carter's Have Some Fun with the Funk from the Pokemon The First Movie soundtrack. In addition to discussing the song, we cover Paul's lengthy musical career, including his time at Jive Records. Our second segment is an archival interview with Neil Coomer, co-performer of It's Always You and Me, from the fifth generation of the anime. We talk about that song, as well as his thoughts on being a background vocalist for other singers, and even his video game work. Thanks. Hi folks, Steven here. I'm on the phone with Paul Umbach, who is a producer, uh, guitarist. He has actually quite a few talents, but relevant to Pokemon... He is a co-producer and an instrumentalist and background vocalist on Aaron Carter's Have Some Fun with the Funk from the Pokemon the First Movie soundtrack. So, Paul, why don't we just start uh, at the beginning? Uh, how did you get into doing music? What was sort of your training? And uh, how did you kind of get into the industry? Oh, hi, Stephen. Uh, thanks, for, uh, thanks for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I got into the industry uh, just because um, it was music was always around in my house, so I grew up as a musician playing guitar and drums and then went to school for it was kind of the school musician in high school that type of thing and uh produced bands on long island and they came to my studio to record a lot and then kind of took took a job uh at jive records with uh the request from uh, steve blunt who is a great songwriter and, and producer in, in his own right and we built a little studio in Jive Records studio room. And so I did a lot of work there from 98 to about 2003 or so. Yeah. Jive Records is a name that I'm sure a lot of the folks at home will uh, recognize as being home to be to some of the biggest artists of the turn of the uh, century slash millennium era. You got to meet quite a few well-known uh, uh, names out there. Um, yeah. What was that experience like? Oh, yeah, that, that part was fantastic. Um, we were mentioning before that, you know, when we signed uh, Sync and had to, uh, you know, stop what I was doing for Zomba Publishing, which I had a studio there, so I was always working on some things. And then just like Steve was like, okay, stop what you're doing. We're going to have the boys in NSYNC come in. We're going to listen to some mixes. And so all five of them come into this, you know, production room. And they're all doing the bye, bye, bye dance. And they're all kids. And and it was a blast. You know, there was so many people that I met and learned a, a ton, you know, as being a producer there and, and kind of taking my angle of things, which I'm mostly a rock guy, you know, a rock pop guy, but sort of always took my angle uh, to to the productions. So, yeah, it was great. Yeah, absolutely a ton of well-known names from the from that era. Uh, can you list off a couple songs that you worked on from there that folks would know? But, yeah, Britney, all Brit- uh, some Britney stuff. Like, we did uh, 
I produced or I did vocal work when I first got to jive with her on um, When Your Eyes Say It, which was really fun to be in the studio with her after about two months worth of, you know, me being at jive and, and Steve producing that record and kind of, you know, me being in the vocal booth with her and helping her with some vocals and playing guitar and doing backgrounds and, and kind of doing the whole track or, you know, working on the track itself and just being like a vocal producer. So, so that was a great time. Um, but I did so much work there for the publishing company, you know, spent a lot of time with people, even with Max Martin and who's a, an absolute genius and he still is rocking it these days and still amazing. Um, we did all those interludes on Britney's record. And I think on Aaron's record, we had a lot of interludes that went in between the songs that were all, that was all done in my studio. And that was a blast, um, as well, just kind of recording and having fun and carrying on. So it was always a good time to have a, a jive. Yeah. You mentioned Aaron there. And of course, you know, he's the lead singer on have some fun with the funk. Mm-hmm. Now it, that song was recorded well before the movie came out. It wasn't written or produced for the movie. How did it kind of land in your lap then when it was originally recorded? Yeah, that's a good question. I, I, um, I think I'm trying to think when it was probably the second thing that I did for Jive after the Don Phillips stuff. And uh, Steve had a cassette of a song that he had probably did a, a, a work tape of. Don't quite recall how it went, but um, as far as the, the lineage, but I, th- I think he knew that would be a good song for Aaron um, and, and a party song, just something fun. Cause that whole record was all about, you know, I think it's Aaron's party, come get it, you know? So it's, it was all about having a good time and, um, and have some fun with the funk was like, it was a little edgy too. So, and that was, that was always something that you wanted to, you didn't want it to all be so soft, you know, you wanted to have a little bit of edge. So even when you hear that song, when it comes out, I, I had to take a listen to it again, just to familiarize with myself with and have the memories come back a little bit, but it opens with like the, uh, some beatbox stuff. And so it's actually Aaron doing beatbox. James D. Train Williams doing beatbox. And then, you know, they, it starts off with that. And then Aaron counts off the numbers. And then there's this big swell and a, you know, the, the typical uh, hit, the orchestra hit of the time. And you're into a party. And, and so that's what I think was, was sort of the directive that I had probably gotten from Steve back when he gave me his cassette and the idea. So I just started, you know, programming it from there and, Back in the day, we would do stuff on drum machine. I was doing working with Logic Audio um, and you know Korg Tritons and S six thousands and MPCs and all that kind of stuff. All the technical work, um, you know, had some fun with some of. Uh, we mentioned the ethereal thing before you said, but I had some fun with that because that's kind of my my thing. I like putting a little bit of uh, kind of dust on on the uh, on the the ethereal aspect of of the tune. So. Yeah, it's it's very much a spontaneous block party type of of song in there because it sort of starts with with the beatboxing and then sort of builds up from there. Now, uh, one thing you mentioned you mentioned D Train Williams, mm-hmm. which of course I, th- I think a lot of the folks at home will know is one half of the original Pokey Rap as well. Yeah, and he was just at, he was just at my house just like twenty minutes ago, <laughs> so we're still super close. And um, yeah, I've known him for well over. 25 years or so. Yeah, absolutely awesome there. But uh, you did some of the background vocals as well with about a group of about half a dozen folks. Uh, what was that kind of like? 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely, I think we mock some of the, some of the, the party stuff when, when I would first do the, the, the original track, you know? So I think I did like the second, either the second verse, I would just sing harmony with him. So when, when it came time, and a lot of that stuff was recorded in my production studio, as far as like, you know, doing all the rhythm tracks and, and the basics and the guitars and things. And then we would take those files and bring them to the big studio. And so we did that up at Battery, and that's when we decided we would like, okay, D-Train was going to be involved, and he brought in a bunch of the other other singers. And I, I think we had done a lot of stuff with a girl named Nikki Gregoroff, and so she was a, a, a great singer that we used to use for a lot of our publishing stuff, and just a great artist herself. So, you know, we just brought everybody into the studio to have fun and clap and sing, like, say little shout-outs and just increase the party vibe um, of the track. Yeah, I think you struck a good balance of making it sound like, you know, spontaneous and not making it sound, you know, though, too too polished in regards to some of the, the backing uh, singers and stuff like that. So that was, so that aspect of it ended up working really well. Now, this was recorded, like, it sounds like either late 98 or early 99, if I understand correctly. So it was recorded well before the, the movie came out. And you're not entirely sure. We asked. I asked about this earlier. You're not entirely sure how it ended up there. It, it was probably some folks talking around, like Steve and, and maybe you know D Train, having already had some Pokemon experience. Uh, it certainly would have been the loop there. But you did eventually find out it had gotten selected. Uh, I, I take it, uh, it didn't seem like you knew a ton about Pokemon at the time. What was that experience like? Yeah, no, I it definitely um, didn't know much about Pokemon. Maybe from my niece at the time, or just you know just kind of knowing about uh, a, a little bit about it, but I didn't understand the characters. I think, like you said, I think it was part of, uh, it says 99 as far as the credits go on the album. So I'm not sure when the movie was released. So sometimes those things get kind of, uh, the music is done while the music, while the movie's being produced and then the movie would be released. But uh, so that could have been the connection. And it was probably, you know, Clive Calder, Barry Weiss, the, the, the heads of Jive and, and all the other record, because I know Greg, Craig Kalman and, and people from uh, from Atlantic were involved in this record. So I'm, I'm sure it was like a uh, chatting about who do you got, you know, who, who who's uh, who's on your roster that could do some music for this. So and then Steve having this fun song and then obviously us, you know, putting something that had all that fun party energy together and a great track and you know, high energy uh, drums and and programming and things like that. So. Now, despite you not having a ton of knowledge about the franchise, this was still kind of a, a big deal to you. Uh, you have a I, I, because this was a double platinum album in the United States. You actually have a plaque for this. Uh, how, how, what was it like getting one of those? Yeah, that was actually I think my first one that I had gotten through uh, my first platinum record that I've ever gotten, and that was fun. Yeah, I think I think it's a culmination of just you know what you. Uh, like hard work and what you have focused on in your career that kind of gives those accolades or, you know, accomplishments that you would get recognized for. I think that that's kind of the the thing that stands out now. Like when I even, I have it hanging on my, my little rec room where I have my drums and my piano and stuff. So, you know, it, it's definitely, uh, it's a remembrance of, of kind of the hard work that you put into getting to those places. So um, so that part I, I have a, a, certainly a lot of respect for and 
Um, and it was fun to listen to the track again. Like I hadn't heard it in such a long time. So, you know, we worked with some really great people on that. Like, uh, you know, the guys at, at, at battery, uh, uh, my engineer, Tim Donovan, who was always there for stuff. If you look in our credits, uh, uh for Brittany and for so many other things that we did, you know, Tim, Tim was always a part of our team. He was just a great person to work with. And, um, you know, again, you know, let, go down the list of some of the other people, even the, all the assistants like Charles and Paul Oliveira and, and those guys, um, they were always there. They were, they were, they were a great team to work for, work with at, uh, at battery. So, so it's the com it's the culmination of, of that. When you look at the plaque, you're like, okay, I remember those guys. I remember working on that. And that was the fun part of it. All right. Well, that was that was a, a pretty big chapter in your career. You, like you said, you were at Jive until about 2003. I mean, at that point, sort of, as it often does, music uh, tastes move in kind of cycles, and, th- and things were kind of moving into uh, the the zeros with a little bit of a a different spin on music there. So yeah. you kind of moved on to some other endeavors. What did you do after that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got I I had worked with an artist named Matt White, and we did. Um, probably his biggest song, which is a song called love, which uh, was in many movies over the course, a lot of, a lot of uh, quote unquote chick flick movies, but you know, little Manhattan and, and what happened in Vegas and, and all kinds of other movies uh, as well as like the McRib commercial, which was kind of interesting. But so I had worked with him and sort of developed his career uh, and he got signed to Geffen records and so we did a we did a record. I did a full out length record with him, and I co-wrote a lot of the songs and and produced that. Um, I also had a rock artist uh, named Budahead, which was also signed to um, to the Interscope labels, and uh, and I did a lot of my sort of the stuff that I was maybe that I was more of my love, you know, my passion music, which was a little bit more edgier and uh, but still having the pop sensibility. And, you know, we co- I co-wrote five songs with him. And uh, unfortunately, that, song, that record got released and it's out there. But there's some really good pieces of music on that one and did that in L.A. So I, I got a chance to, to really do some, some great work after, you know, after my time with Jive. I got into jingle work. I did a, a huge campaign for Sears, a good life song, which made me actually a lot more money than I, was, <laughs> than I did when I was at Jive Records. And, uh, you know, in 2005, I had three national ads running um, at the same time, and I was the vocalist on it. So those those were very lucrative uh, times for me personally. And so that was great. And that was all, um, you know, stemmed from my love of pop music and, and, and the rock stuff that I've done over the years. Yeah. Now, you had mentioned Vegas. Uh, initially, mm-hmm. you had moved and lived in Nashville for a very long time. A few years ago, you did get the opportunity, and you're now living in the Las Vegas area. Um, mm-hmm. You did kind of have the misfortune of moving there just a few months before the pandemic hit, which is kind of unfortunate. But what what have you been trying to do now that you've moved there? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I, I had done some... Um, I had the ability when I was in Nashville, I sort of was working for a company that was doing a lot of radio parodies. And so we, I did all that stuff and was able to kind of transition to come out here. Uh, I think right now what's nice about music in general and, and as the technology gets even better, um, we can do a lot of remote work. So, um, and I'm, I'm actually really excited about that because, uh, even though we can't do real time yet, it's not quite there. You can still do video and connective, uh, interaction with, 
being people in studios in their own little studios and we and a lot of the musicians had to really kind of adapt to that over covid and and the pandemic and uh it's been interesting i'm definitely wanting to up my game personally on that just because i i have a really awesome room it looks out to my pool it's beautiful out today and you know it does get hot but it, it 115 is not fun um but you have you have air conditioning and you jump in the pool it's all good but uh, I think with Vegas, it's really turning into um, – it's always had great musicians. It's, a, it's one of our big entertainment areas. Um, there's always incredible players here. And I think slowly but surely it'll turn into even more uh, singer-songwriters coming out here. There's definitely more of a – there's been a natural connection with some of the clubs and always with Vegas um, uh, here. So there's – you know, it's it's definitely a, a, a bigger community, a better community than maybe, you know, what you would think Las Vegas is. So I'm trying to um, meet more people here, uh, get involved uh, with starting some maybe some songwriting sessions and things like much to like the way they did Tuesday Night Music Club. I would love to do something like that. Some of my dear friends who are involved in, in the Cheryl Crow stuff and Tuesday Night Music Club idea is such a beautiful idea. Just get somebody together and get people together to make music. I think that that can definitely happen here in this town. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah, it's it's a major uh, entertainment hotspot. And as things hopefully get better, it sounds like you're going to have some more opportunities. Is there anything you've released recently? I recently, I mean, I'm, I've worked on one EP, but I don't want to say recently, but it's something I was definitely proud of. of uh, I've released two of my own recordings. One was in 2010, so that's not very recent, but uh, it's still representative of something that I do. And I did something about uh, 2018 or so. Um, working on some new new material now. Uh, certainly a lot of sort of film, uh, a little deeper, a little darker. Um, but then you know, every once in a while, I'll come and program something fun and do a do something that's a little more pop i have a couple of mates that live in portland oregon that uh we have a band together called american lad which we were doing really well and uh just just prior to 9-11 but we're uh i think you meant did you mean to say sorry to interrupt did you mean to say just prior to the pandemic yeah, sure. Yeah, just, uh, no, actually, yeah, we, we we did stuff when when nine eleven too, and and it was like we were ready to get signed, and and things were going to happen at that time, and then stuff changed. Um, yeah. My buddy Mike is firefighter, and so you know, and life changed. But we now that I'm on the I'm on the west, not the west coast, <laughs> but I'm on the west. We're gonna, you know, hopefully we're gonna be doing some more material and, and uh, kind of resurrect my drumming and sort of get back behind the kid a little bit. So I, I do love drumming. So, so yeah, so it's fun to just stay uh, fresh. And, and uh, I was singing a lot over the, over the last, say, eight years, doing a lot of the radio parody stuff. You probably maybe have heard me sing something over the years. You know, now it's just more about just kind of original and producing some new acts. So I'm looking forward to that. And where can folks find you online? Um, I have a website, not very good. Maybe I have to really think about doing up, up, upgrading that, but at paulumbachmusic.com. My latest uh, EP is on that. I'm on Facebook. I'm pretty much available. Uh, you know, I'm going to definitely make sure that I, I kind of up some of that uh, social media presence. I'm on Instagram as well. So, you know, that's always a tricky thing for, I'm 53. So sometimes it's like, Hey, you know, you, you, you gotta, you gotta do this. And, 
I've always, uh, in funny ways, I've always been sort of the secret weapon of people um, being a producer or behind the scenes. And so it's not as comfortable for me to get like up in front and self-promoting. But, you know, in this, these days you have to do that. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you very much, Paul. It's been great having you on. Thank you, Stephen. Thanks for reaching out and um, look forward to hearing it. This has been Stephen Reich from the Poké Press Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Paul Umbuck, the co-producer and a uh, performer on Aaron Carter's Have Some Fun with the Funk. Flying Without Wings is a well-written song, but its inclusion on the Pokemon 2000 soundtrack is a bit odd. There is plenty of flying in the movie, but most of it clearly involves wings. If you're willing to ignore that disparity, however, there are a number of lines that do match up well. We see several friendships, familiar and new, featured in the film. You can argue that characters like Professor Oak and Slow King lead reasonably solitary lives. For that matter, you could even say the same thing about Shmoody Island itself, being fairly isolated from the rest of the world. If you're looking for the most Pokémon of the lyrics, though, those are probably in the bridge, as striving towards the seemingly impossible is a running theme of the franchise. Even after that, however, there is one more parallel to be drawn. Delia winds up coming face-to-face with Ash in a somewhat unexpected time and place, at least for him. While this final part of the song may have been originally intended as being between two lovers, I find that it still works for the mother-son reunion. Anyway, the next time someone tells you this song doesn't match up with the movie, I hope you have some different ideas to give them. Thanks. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich, here at the Pokepress PR and Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Neil Coomer, one of the performers of It's Always You and Me, the opening theme song from this season of the Pokemon TV show, Adventures in Unova. And Neil, we just had a few questions. Uh, why don't we start off with the basics? Uh, where are you from originally, and how did you get involved in music? Uh, originally, I'm from Louisville, Kentucky. It's where I grew up. And um, when I moved to Nashville after graduating college, and that's where I started my music career shortly after I got out of college in Nashville. Um, with another guy, we had a duo in Nashville. We got signed pretty quickly to a record deal after college, which, you know, the interesting thing is when you get signed to a record deal pretty quickly after college, you think, oh, well, that's what happens. You easily get record deals, you know? <laughs> and he and I had a duo together, and we toured for maybe four or five years. Then we broke the group up and I moved to New York. He started a, he'd always kind of had an interest in country music and I encouraged him to go for that, that that dream. And he started a group called Rascal Flats. And then I moved to New York and started doing uh, different music stuff here in New York. And uh, since moving to New York, uh, what has your career been like there? Um, The one thing I love about living in New York is it's very varied. A lot of different, you know, music opportunities and different things to do here. I, I do different things, sometimes, you know, studio work, sometimes do jingle work, uh, you know, singing different jingles, you know, either radio or television. And then I also do some television work. I sing, uh, I sing frequently on Saturday Night Live. And I also sing on the theme song for 30 Rock TV show and sing on different episodes for 30 Rock some for the TV show Smash, and, uh, you know, sometimes on Letterman or Good Morning America or Jimmy Fallon, 
you know, different New York shows. I also sing most years on the Kennedy Center Honors, which usually airs, you know, at the end of the year. And, you know, d- different things like that. You know, sometimes it's incredibly exciting, these really great things, you're singing at Carnegie Hall and things like that. And then other times it can be, you know, very mundane and 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 very boring, but that's life, the highs and the lows, you know. As Tootie from the Facts of Life would say, you take the good, you take the bad, you take them both, and there you have the Facts of Life. And shouldn't we all quote Tootie? Uh, indeed. And uh, so how did you uh, end up uh, getting to do this song? First of all, what was your prior knowledge of the Pokemon franchise? Well, I'd had some uh, friends, you know, people that I had known who had worked, uh, had done some previous Pokemon themes, but to tell you the truth, I didn't realize it until <clears throat> until I did this theme. A friend of mine, who actually, you know, I've sung with before, Catherine Rayo, who I think you know, Catherine had called me one day, and, and I had never worked with David or John, and... And she said, hey, I would really like for you to meet them, and, you know, I think that you'd be really great for uh, this, uh, you know, Pokemon thing. I recommended you to them, and so we, you know, went into the studio to give it a shot, and, you know, it worked out really, really well. I mean, I love love singing with Catherine. She's such an amazing singer, and, you know, really enjoyed working with David and John. You know, when we got together with them, I realized, you know, we had a zillion friends in common and people that we had that we knew uh different you know different relationships but that's a lot like the music business here you know you, it's like one or two or three degrees of separation from you know almost everybody in the music business here um when you've been around for a little bit and work with different people you realize you know a lot of the same people even if you haven't worked together before are there any parts of uh, It's Always You and Me, the song that you'd uh, like to call out or have people pay attention to? I, you know, I love the melody of the song, actually. You know, it's like one of those things that once we you know, sang it, which it was, a, it was a blast to sing. You know, some songs just instinctively or intuitively, you know, aren't, they're not that hooky, you know. But, you know, I remember... You always know if something is hooky when you wake up the next morning or the, like two days or three days afterwards and you just have that just running like a loop in your head. You know, sometimes I, you know, I'll sing something and somebody may ask me later, well, how did it go or what did you sing? And I, I, can't, I don't even remember. You know, it's like completely gone from my memory right after I do it. But this was one of those things, you know, just kind of like I wake up the next morning or a couple of days afterwards, and I'm like, okay, enough with this song in my head, you know. But it just definitely stuck with me, and I, you know, I love the melody of the song, and you know, the lyrics obviously complement the melody as well. So, all right, and it sounds like you really had a good time uh, recording that, which is what we always like to hear. Uh, what about some of your other work? Uh, what have you been? You mentioned some shows that you've uh, done vocals for recently. What else have you been working on? Um, there is, you know, I'm not not the kind of guy who after I, you know, kind of left Nashville, you know, I didn't come to New York with just the, and start recording, you know, making records and putting stuff out on iTunes and, and touring a lot here. I wound up kind of putting some of my energies into, you know, other things like, you know, that I just mentioned, you know, singing background for different artists, you know, you know, did some television shows, sang background for Dolly Parton, um, which was, you know absolutely amazing especially because i got to sing you know it's been a little while since i've done this but you know dolly she did a record of covers and then one of the songs that she did on that record on that 
round of TV shows was nine to five, you know, and because I grew up in the eighties, you know, getting to sing nine to five with Dolly Parton, you know, was a blast to me and loved, you know, absolutely loved working with her and that, you know, led to singing with other artists. But so that trajectory, which kind of kept me, you know, singing background for different artists and working with different artists, artists like, you know, now I sing background with Cindy Lauper that kind of kept me working in a, in a variety of stuff. So I kind of zeroed in on my artist stuff as being, um, you know, I kept songwriting. I, I'm a songwriter as well, but I also have done, been doing some writing, like some, you know, book writing, these kind of musings, you know, kind of create, creative person's take on life in New York City. So some of it is observational. Some of it is philosophical. Uh, some of it is, you know, humorous things that I observe, things that I see, and I'm about to shoot some videos, some kind of short films with these writings, and that's a kind of a, a project that I'm working on now. And I don't know if you saw on YouTube uh, this clip that I had put on YouTube that was kind of the beginning, you know, the kind of the seed planting of this process. Um, it's a video that I have, it's called Background, kind of the nature of a background singer in New York City. So that was kind of the start of this, um, you know, writing that I'm doing. And uh, it turns out you've actually, just to bring it full circle, worked on a couple of video games, uh, including some music ones. Uh, which games were those, and what was that process like? Um, well, the few games that I was saying on some EA games, I did a game, of, this is a few years ago, there was a, a EA Boogie mm -hmm. uh, was the name of one of them, and then EA Boogie 2 that came out. Um, I sang a, a lot of songs for those two for those two video games. I don't know how many, but like total, maybe like twenty five, maybe. You know, so it had a lot of a lot of vocals on it, a lot of songs from different you know different artists. Did a lot of uh, on those two games, Sims City Three, Sims Three. Um, I sang some stuff on that, which was you know incredibly interesting, simply because of. The, having to sing a song in Simlish. <laughs> and that process is just completely insane because, you know, you're singing in a different language and, you know, that language, you know, doesn't exist other than Sims. And it's it's very tongue-twisting and tongue-tied, but it was a blast to do those songs. All right, Neil. That sounds uh, pretty cool, actually. Um, now, you don't have a huge social media presence, but you do have a YouTube channel uh, for the people at home. How can they find that? Uh, it's under my name, Neil Coomer. It's N-E-A-L-C-O-O-M-E-R. And the one you know, major thing that I have uh, posted on my YouTube channel is background. Uh, it's the start of a project uh, that I'm working on now, and I've been writing for the last couple of years for that. So that it will actually involve, you know, writing and also like uh, some short films. So, but, but I'm working on that now. Uh, trying to actually shoot some videos here really soon to kind of follow up on the on the background video that's there now. All right. Well, we certainly look forward to that. Thank you very much, Neil. Yeah, great to talk to you, and I hope that covers things for you. I mean, I loved singing the theme song. Hopefully there'll be more Pokemon in the future for me, and um, so I'm sure you would be the first to hear about it. This has been Stephen Reich from the Pokepress Pierre and Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. 
on the phone with Neil Coomer, one of the performers of It's Always You and Me. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for listening to the PokePress Digest podcast. We'd appreciate if you rate or review us on your podcast app of choice. If you'd like to find more of our great content, visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter.